You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Carrie Preston. Carrie is a wonderful actor as well as a director, writer, and producer. She's a fellow graduate of both the University of Evansville and the Juilliard School, and she's someone whose drive I've admired for a very long time. She's had a successful acting career, but really what we talk about in this conversation are all the ways that she's created her own work, her own art outside of her mainstream work. She has a production company. Um, she's directing short films all the time. She's writing scripts, and it's really inspiring to me the way she really makes her creative life extremely full. She also does a lot of work with the New Harmony Project, which is a new play development conference, which I've worked with in the past and I really admire. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Happy New Year to everyone. 2017 was an extremely difficult year in so many ways. There was also a lot of growth, um, and I'm looking forward to a new one. (laughs) So I'm wishing you all the best, and I hope you enjoy the 103rd episode of The Compass. first question that I always start with is what do you do to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? I, to keep from going to the dark side, I I just stay, I just stay incredibly busy, you know, creatively and um, I'm like a little hummingbird, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't light for too long on something and I guess that would include dark thoughts. Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, I, I try to remain active um, creatively, but also just, you know, socially, you know, intellectually, um, physically. Um, but I also, you know, have a, I would say a very cursory kind of knowledge or understanding of Buddhism. Mm. And I find that that's a, a very helpful thing to have as an artist, you know, (laughs) that idea that, you know, we are all, uh, in the same place and that suffering is sort of part of the human condition, Uh you know, and I count sadness, I guess among that, you know, suffering and that, you know, if you try to fight it, it only makes it worse, you know, so there's that thing about just sort of accepting it and, yeah. 
When did that kind of come into your life? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, my parents were very non-traditional in their... I grew up in the South, but they were definitely not traditionally religious in a in any way. So we didn't go to any churches or anything, but mm-hmm. they were very much into like alternative kind of spiritual stuff. So I guess it was kind of in my life as something that I could have gravitated to, you know, um, anyway. And then I would say once I got to New York and I was up here and there was a lot of chaos, I started like looking for, you know, uh, kind of a a spiritual anchor in some way. And I knew I wasn't going to be in the traditional church. And I tried, you know, other things like, science of mind and you know not not Scientology that's a totally different thing <laughs> totally different thing never never tried that but you know science of mind was this thing that they had at Avery Fisher Hall hmm. they, they had they would have these Sunday services at Avery Fisher Hall which is right at Lincoln Center right and so I started going to those and it was very you know sort of um more the self-helpy yeah I guess more yeah more new agey Mm -hmm. kind of vibe which was cool but it still wasn't really doing it for me you know and then I started reading books by Pema Chodron yeah you know and everybody you know just kept saying you got to check her out stuff yeah so once I've had so many people say that yeah so once I started reading her books yeah I was like oh okay because she makes it so accessible to westerners and then I, you know, I've, I've been to like a weekend where she spoke, you know, at the Omega Institute mm-hmm. and found that to be really wonderful. And, you know, I do my best to meditate. I'm not good at sitting still as <laughs> I started off telling you. Yeah. So that, that's a definitely a challenge for me. But when I can sit still, you know, when I allow myself to sit still, yeah. I find that it is, it keeps me from, you know go into the dark side yeah well I mean those are things that could be helpful to anyone in any walk of life but it really is particular to artists I feel like there's so much self-scrutiny that's involved or can be if you kind of let yourself go down an unhealthy road in pursuing Mm -hmm. this as a career Mm -hmm. I feel like it's particularly helpful yeah it is and well, I mean, it's sort of part of our job requirement, actually, yeah. is to scrutinize ourselves. I mean, because we have to understand what the, all the millions of tools are that we have in our bodies, which is what we use to build our characters. So it makes sense that we would get caught in that. It makes sense that lines get crossed when you're playing a role and you kind of get a little confused as to who's thinking the thoughts, <laughs> you know? and. You see why people turn to substance. You see why mm-hmm. people, you know, turn to other people. You see why people destroy, you know, marriages. Like, you, you know, you see all, it, can make, it makes complete sense when you think about what it is that we choose to do with our lives. You know, we're walking around with nerve endings in front of us, yeah. leading us through the world. Yeah. They're not inside us. They're right out. <laughs> Completely on exposed. They're right out on the outside. Yeah. Well, at, from the outside, you're someone who's had a lot of success within the business of being an actor, within mm-hmm. the structure of being an actor. Mm-hmm. But I'm particularly interested in um, the things you've been doing that are 
self-motivated kind of outside of the the major tv stuff you've done and things like your production company and yeah new harmony project and stuff like that um, yeah the things that have really been able to keep you busy between between roles where someone else is yeah giving you the paycheck exactly yeah i know it it um i guess it was around 2004 so i had been out of grad school and in the profession for you know a good decade and you know I was doing my thing and making my living and Mm -hmm. very grateful for that but I realized there was a something that was atrophied in me you know because I had kind of given my power to other people yeah you know to tell me that it was okay for me to do what it is that I want to do with my life (laughs) you know and sometimes they would pay me and sometimes they wouldn't, but still I was going to them and saying, can I do this thing? Right. You know, and this is what you should do. This is what you are. Right. This is what you are. Or, you know, I would like to play this part. No, you can't play that part, you know, or yeah, you can play this part, but only for a month, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know? So I just thought, okay, I I just have more that I want to say in the world and in, with my life and um and I I want to just see if I can figure out how to get the tools to do that you know so I just started taking I took a I, I got a, a grant through the Fox Foundation which mm-hmm. was uh, at that time giving grants to actors to do continuing education in some way um it had to kind of t- had to have it had to do with your um your acting so I was like okay but I want to like study filmmaking so I kind of tricked it into a thing where I took a filmmaking class but then I went and took an on-camera acting class at the same time so that I could say you see what I'm learning behind the camera is going to help me with with what's in front of the camera and that's true it's very true where did you take the class so it was through the New York Film Academy, but they have these campuses all over the world, really. And I went to the um, campus at Universal Studios in, in L.A. Because mm-hmm. um, at the time I was kind of, you know, trying to dig up work out there. So I'm, I've always been kind of doing the bi-coastal thing. Um, and plus I just thought it would be cool to, you got to go shoot on the back lot at Universal as a student. You know, which is pretty cool. Like, you're on the, you know, Western set. You know, you're on these, like, iconic sets. Mm. And you're a student, you know. And you've got a camera in your hand on the first day. So I did this, like, really intense five-week course. And this was pre-digital, okay. So we're shooting on, like, Super 8, Super 16. We're shooting on film. And then we're cutting on film. Nice. So they're teaching us how to cut old school, you know. And this was not that long ago. <laughs> it's was so fast. Right at, in the digital revolution, right? right? So it was like right as it was happening. So it was cool to learn how to edit by hand with tape and you know, you'd make the splice and you cut it and you put it through the the machine and it was it was really cool um so when when you got into when we got into digital non-linear editing, it was nice to have that tool, you know, it's that sort of idea of if you know how to do Shakespeare, then you can do right. a commercial, you know? So it was like, okay, if you know how to like cut in a linear way, then that's going to help you so much, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you're directing or whatever. But, um, so anyway, I, I did that. And then 
And then my uh, friend of mine from Juilliard, James Vasquez, he was in my class at Juilliard, and he was like, hey, I wrote this script, and, you know, nobody's going to give me money to do it, but maybe we could figure out how to do it together since you've been studying filmmaking. So we literally got one of those little mini-DV digital cameras, and we taught ourselves everything. His now husband, uh, then uh, partner, Mark Holmes, and so, you know, the three of us just did everything. I directed it. James wrote it. He was in it. We got our friends to be in it. Mark shot it with me. Mark and, and James cut it. We all, you know, we just, like, got in there and learned how to do it. And mm-hmm. and, um, and we ended up piecing together this feature film. And we sold it. And, you know, it, it went to tons of festivals. And then we just reinvested in the next thing. And That's and, amazing that you sold the first one that you did. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't for much, you know, but we didn't make it for much, you know. So... You know, that's the kind of trick with indie filmmaking is that you certainly can't roll the dice thinking you're going to make a lot of money. You know, they're just those ones that sell for the millions at Sundance are very few, you know. So we kind of learned that no budget filmmaking style. And I actually really prefer it, you know, because you just have more control and it's crazy. It's like putting on a community theater play in a way you know it's just there's cameras there and you know it's a little more expensive but um but you know so we did that and then we just we kind of got off on that you know we got we we liked that that feeling of like hey we had a story to tell and we wanted to you know do it so we figured it out and this was like right at the beginning when everyone else was doing that too and now of course you can shoot a movie on your iphone and there's problems with that too because of course now we have too much right. content you know and it's hard it's, to even find anything it's like Horton hears a who you know you can't get the word out you yeah. know you cannot get the word out it's really really hard even a major major television show is having a hard time getting audiences because we're all just screaming for the same people um, but at that time when we started doing it you know there was still an it, an eager audience that was being kind of underfed and so that you know really excited that really fed us you know to be able to feed them so and you guys have continued are you actively making anything right now yes we i'm actively making something right now (laughs) um yeah we're constantly doing stuff um James has been doing a lot, a lot of theater. He directs a lot of theater yeah. now. Is he here in New York? Or is, he's in, you guys he's in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So they live in San Diego, and that's kind of our base, our mm-hmm. hub there. Um, and then uh, I've been sort of doing the New York end of things. So uh, the last thing I did was a, kind of a doc, um, a live concert stand-up sketch show that I recorded of of Kate Rigg who's a brilliant uh, comedian and um, she also has a band and she does these live shows so I filmed her live show over like three different performances and then I took her she has character comedy too and then I took her characters out on location and I shot them and then I cut cut it all together into this weird like concert indie movie it's called Happy Lucky Golden Tofu Panda Dragon Good Time Fun Fun Show (laughs) So where, where can one see this? Where, well, well, <laughs> we're, we haven't, we haven't, we, it did all these festivals and then uh-huh. we haven't, you know, we got exhausted with the whole self distribution yeah. thing. So I think we're probably just going to throw it up on Amazon or something, you know, cause you can like self 
you can self, you know, promote now and you can self distribute and it's just a lot of work, but you right. can do it, you know? So we're probably heading towards that. But, um, yeah. And then I'm, I'm actually just trying to legit get into television, like legit television, like as a director and producer and writer. So I've got a couple of different projects that I'm trying to get going. One of them I wrote, so it's, you know, being sent around as a, you know, just a, a script. Mm-hmm. And then one of them, Lynn Rosen wrote, who wrote this a web series that I direct called Darwin. Yes. And um, we had Carl Kensler on. That's from right. that, but I don't remember what episode number. That's right. Mm-hmm. I remember that he did that. Yeah. So. Um, she was one of the writers on Darwin, and so she wrote this pilot that um, is really fun and is great. But a lot of people in Hollywood don't really like to read, so <laughs> and this is a high kind of a high concept script. Okay. So, um, so I'm shooting a, a proof of concept for it. So basically, I'm shooting the first right. eight pages. That's just an it. easier way to pitch it. Yeah, because then it's like here. This is the, tone. This is the first. This is the world. Seven or eight minutes of this thing, this half-hour show. That's this funny. is the world. This is what it's going to feel like, you know, on, on in its lower-budget form. But this is this is the idea. And, you know, do you want to hear more? Do you want to read the script? Do you want to see? You know, so it'll be like a little selling tool. Yeah. Plus, it was just fun, you know, for us to just see if it even works, you know. And, and it, it's a good way to kind of test that out you know, to see what comes up off the page and, you know, how, is, is this concept even viable? I mean, I think it will be, um, but it's, you know, a great way to kind of do it without, with lower, way lower stakes. Yes. You know? Yes. Have you gotten into directing um, in theater as well, or is it yeah. mostly been drawn to film stuff? Yeah, I've done theater in the past, and I, and I have a couple of projects that really and one in particular that really really has been speaking to me for a couple of years now then I've directed some workshops and readings of it and now um we're at the in the process of trying to get a theater somewhere in America interested in letting us do it (laughs) (laughs) not not the easiest thing to do but um certainly not in New York City but it's a really cool script it's written by Susan Ferrara and it's called Buzz and it's about Marianne Buzz Goodbody, who in the early 1970s was only one of three female directors in the UK. She was with the RSC. Hmm. And um, she had been chugging away there, you know, for a long time and doing these, like, really cool experimental things. But, you know, w- couldn't get the big break, you know. And they basically just kind of tossed her a shed and, like, well, you, you could go direct over there if you want some scene study (laughs) and so she went over to this shed and (laughs) she turned it into a theater and she did Hamlet and she cast uh, then unknown basically he was a spear carrier for the company Ben Kingsley (laughs) as Hamlet and um, so anyway uh, that place then became the other place which was a huge their huge alternative space at the RSC Mm -hmm. so anyway this is a story about her and um and it's also a story about Hamlet so it's like this interesting you know combo of a a theatrical piece about 
a, a woman's journey as a professional in a man's world and then a man you know Hamlet sort of searching for his place in the world and you know how those things intertwine and really the glass ceiling what happens when you repeatedly hit the glass ceiling yeah and that's what happened to Buzz so it's it's a really cool story I see it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about any sexism that you faced as an, as an actor or now that you're trying to be a director have you found that it's difficult I know there's just there's just not a lot of yeah. directors being hired yeah but I think the times are changing obviously we're in a big moment right now and it's it's great to see that women are coming together and supporting each other and trying to make this moment actionable instead of just reactionable you know Mm -hmm. people are really trying to put things to the test and you know putting putting networks and agencies and um, studios um, to the test and saying listen you know you've got to promise us that by 2020 we're gonna have 50 50 you know like we we have a goal here yeah you know and let's let's go for it let's uh, let's have parity you know let's have uh and i don't know if we're gonna be able to reach it in two years but it's good to kind of have this goal you know and and to see leaders that are really um leaders female leaders in the industry who are really vocal about that and um you know, I'm doing my best to try to change that, you know. Uh, but it is it is a man's world, but I, I don't know. I, I just keep on doing my thing, and it, it can be infuriating, but I feel, you know, fortunate that I, I didn't have, I haven't experienced some of the really horrible things that some of the people have experienced that, that have been speaking out. Yeah. But, you know, we all as women experience sexism daily you know it's really exciting to me like the Kilroy's list and yeah people putting down lines in the sand yeah about parody it does I have a lot of hope for it but then in the back of my mind I think I'm also scared that it's just gonna fade away yeah it'll because people's attention spans are so short yeah people are like oh you're still talking about that you're still talking oh you guys (laughs) shut up you just shut up yeah but it is exciting to think that this might be a moment of not gradual change, but yeah, fast change. What is that Tina and Tina Facebook uh, bossy pants? Did you read that? It's been a long time since I so have. So like, I'm like, I feel like <laughs> in the first page or something, she says, "I feel like the definition is it bitch? Is the definition the definition of bitch in Hollywood is when a woman still keeps talking even after you." stop wanting to fuck her (laughs) so people get mad when women keep talking that's true they just don't want us to keep talking you know they're just like you already said that now shut up you know (laughs) but I think we're at a point where we're actually gonna not stop you know and we're just gonna keep on talking and we we've got strength in numbers I think right now which is good too and um yeah it's 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 a it's a tough hurdle but I don't know I'm I'm a fighter <laughs> can we talk a little bit about the new harmony project yes please because um so the new harmony project is a new play development conference in Indiana where Carrie and I actually met years yes. ago yes um it's closely associated with Evansville where we both went to school but you've been on the board now for a number of years yeah yeah I, I guess my 
My first time I went there, I was still a student. Um, I was in grad school, school. I was at Juilliard, but I went back, you know, to do a summer there. And then, um, and then I joined the board. I don't know, like 14 years ago now, or 15 years ago. And you, you do like these, you do a three-year, you do two three-year terms. Then you have to rotate off. Mm-hmm. And then you can do, you can come back on for six years if you want. So I did that. I did six years, and then I rotated off. And then I did six years, and then I'm currently rotated off right now. Okay. But you know, they asked me on the, on the yearly if I'll come back, and <laughs> I, I will eventually. But you know, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of time. You know, yeah. it's a time commitment. Yeah. And, um, you know, I needed a little time to focus on other stuff, but I'm totally there for them at all times, and I'm very happy with what's happening right now artistically. We've got we've got a big change. So it's it's kind of exciting to see that it just, we keep growing, you know, this 30-plus year now organization. It keeps on kicking in a time when, Nonprofit organizations like that that have such an intangible product, you know, mm-hmm. um, can still be viable and supported and funded, and right. writers can come there and have a safe environment to develop works that send a positive message out into the world. You know, there's not very many places. I don't know of any other place that's that specific of a mission. How do you think that that definition has changed over the time you've been involved of what, or I'm not exactly sure of the wording in the mission statement. It, no, the positive. Yeah, it has, it has changed. Um, it has changed because the times have changed, you know. Um, I think uh, the original mission statement is still in our, our website. It's it's very poetic and long and gorgeous and not meant for the digital age, you know. <laughs> it was it was written 32 years ago, I guess, right. um, and uh, by Walt Wangeren and and um, and Jeff Sparks and John David Lutz and all the you know founding mm-hmm. members of of the organization, and um, you know it it a lot of people I think originally interpreted it as a, sort of a religious. Like a wholesome, wholesome thing, yeah, kind of thing, uh, or Christian maybe. Although those words were never used, it was just sort of like when you start talking about positive, somehow people go to, oh, well, that must mean, you know, Christian. Not that that's a bad thing at all, mm-hmm. but I think it kind of limited people's understanding of what that is, and um, you know, what a script that is life-affirming means, you know. Um, A lot of times I think people thought, oh, well, I guess that means we can't have any sadness or conflict or anything. Well, of course, you can't create a piece of theater or movie or anything without conflict. Like, that's what, that's Mm -hmm. how great pieces of literature are created, conflict, you know. So um, I sort of look at it as, like, neoclassical, you know. I kind of look at it like, you know, Arthur Miller would have been a great New Harmony playwright, you know, Thornton Wilder, you know, and he wrote some weird plays in there, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, but, you know, I, it's, we, 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 we always had really interesting debates as to, is this a New Harmony script or isn't it? Yeah, you know, what sure. is it, you know, what does it mean? And I think they were, they were great, healthy um, discussions uh, about 
what that means. And we've had some pieces that have been devastating, you know, to watch, but ultimately redemptive, you know, there was hope in the midst of despair, which was, you know, one of the, uh, lines in the original, um, mission statement that, that we were looking for pieces that you know had hope in the midst of despair and that that always spoke to me you know as a real goal in art you know to offer us as humans some kind of hope you know yeah because there's enough despair in the world yeah I think it's it's really beautiful what New Harmony does in supporting in supporting new plays and writers and not being um, product driven, like they're not. Yeah. They don't need to finish the play in the two weeks that they're there. Right. It's really, no. It's really just an incubator. Right. And like a welcome, a welcome place. Here we'll take care of you. We'll, yeah. We'll try to make this atmosphere that'll help your creativity. Yeah, I always say, you know, we we don't invest in plays. We invest in people. Mm-hmm. And New Harmony, uh, because the play may or may not ever go on. And we've had plays that have been developed there that have gone to Broadway, that have been turned into movies, that have gone, you know, to quote-unquote success, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we've had some that just haven't, but the but the people have. You know, the people keep on. And the people, you know, continue to create stuff. And, and we were a part of the nurturing of their creative fiber, you know, and the fabric of their creative life. And... Um, I, I just think it's important and necessary, you know, for writers to have that. You know, you go, okay, Apple, they don't just, like, come out with an iPhone. You know, they have to develop it. They have to put money into it. They have to nurture it. They have to work it out. They have to figure it out. They have to have a place where they can, you know. So if you think about a writer in the same way, they need that, you know. People think, oh, well, writers are just going to go sit in their living room and come up with something by themselves. <laughs> well, maybe a novel, maybe, but when you're talking about the performing arts, you got to have the other people. Yeah. You <laughs> you've got to have those other voices, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, can I ask what your family thinks of you choosing to be an artist for your career? Well, my mother's an artist. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's a visual artist. Mm-hmm. Um she, uh, when we were growing up, she, she did a lot of watercolors. Um, she's a sculptor. And then uh, later, uh, when we, we got older, she got into uh, what is essentially art therapy. Um, she calls it expressive art. And um, she started working with, um, you know, different people from different walks of life who needed kind of supplemental help, whether they were had you know been abused as a child or they were just in therapy and they wanted to have something to supplement that or you know they had substance abuse or something like that and she started using art in a therapeutic way so she did that for a while she would go to hospitals and she would work with people Mm -hmm. in hospitals and she would have private clients and stuff so we you know my brother and sister and I we grew up in a you know a very artistic supported household and um, art was very much revered and appreciated in in our house and um, my brother is an, an actor as well John Preston he does and you guys you guys have done some stuff we've together, done a right? lot of stuff together and you know we grew up doing plays together and you know we 
we've done he's been in some of our movies Daisy Daisy Three Pictures my production company is he here in New York he lives in New York and oh nice he um and he works all over the country you know so he's he's in and out of town he's a gypsy like like all of us <laughs> yeah and uh and my sister um she ended up studying art therapy I mean um art history and then then she studied library science and um she works at FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology. She's the head of acquisitions in their library. Oh, nice. Yeah, but before that, she worked at the Metropolitan Museum, Museum of Art in one of their libraries. So, you know, yeah. we've got a lot of art. Very artistic. Yeah. <laughs> so, luckily, my, my parents... My dad was a geotechnical engineer, so he was very, very left-brained, but never questioned our choices. He could appreciate it. He did, and he just, you know, wanted us to pursue what we were passionate about thankfully he didn't say oh you need to go and you know go to law school or something like he he was very very supportive and of course my mom too so you know they have these now three children who live in New York City and you know we're all involved in the arts that's wonderful yeah um we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to but I was wondering since your husband's also an actor Mm -hmm kind of how you guys have found a way to deal with being apart a lot or just dealing with each other's artistic yeah lives yeah yeah well you know Michael and I have been together for 23 years and we you know we met when we were both just poor little theater church mice you know trying to eke out a living and so we we had these we had this you know rule where it was like okay we have to see each other every two months yes you know <laughs> and know it was that. like our rule. rule it was like the two month rule you know and we really and stuck to that seems expensive <laughs> oh it was really rough yeah it was really hard to make that work yes but you know so we were like the two month rule and then you know we started to get to a little a place where we were you know getting a little more uh, work and stuff and then it was like okay six weeks we got the six week <laughs> rule knocked it down to six weeks knocked it down to a month now we're at the two week nice yeah we're at the two week oh, thing that's fantastic so we, <laughs> we don't always get to do that we oh you know just logistically it's challenging and schedules and where where's Waldo you know in the world kind of thing <laughs> but we definitely try to stick with the two week rule which helps we're not big. We're kind of old-fashioned. We're not big on the FaceTime or the Skype, but we just kind of do the phone thing and the texting, and, you know, we kind of do this, the, the, just listening to each other's right. voice. I, probably because we've been together so long, that's how it all started, you know, the, yeah. before the cell phones, you know? <laughs> it was like the phone. That I was our deal. So understand when your schedules are insane. Yeah, yeah. to talk for a couple of days. Yeah. That. Yeah, so, so that helps, um, you know, we talk you know before you go to bed you know you have to it's it's all about just keeping that communication going when you're apart yeah you know having like dedicated phone dates you know making sure okay we're gonna get together this time we're gonna I don't know we we, we just um that thing about if you're if you're if you're cool with with yourself and what you're doing in your own life and you're not dependent on the other person then Mm -hmm. It's so much better for you, I think, for us anyway. For, for your relationship. Yeah, for our relationship, yeah. that we both have our lives and, and we we both 
have our approach to our careers which is completely different mm. and yet we just like each other you know and we like just like to be together spend yeah. time together so when we're apart it makes the being together all the better you know we appreciate it you know we don't take it for granted right because we're not in each other's faces all the time is there a lesson you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? A lesson? Yeah, it could be something big or something small, but some, or something you've mm. figured out and changed the way you do something. Or Let's see. I feel like, yeah, I feel like um, I'm continue, I, I, I continue to try to learn the lesson of, you know, how to hold on uh, loosely. You know that song, yeah. Hold On Loosely, but Don't Let Go? You know, um, That's you, a good one. It's, it's, it's a tough one to, to get because I'm, you know, I tend to want to hold on to something. You know, I'm pretty tenacious. My friends call me Tenacious P because <laughs> I will get a hold of a thing and I won't, 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 won't want to let yeah. go, you know. And so that includes also, you know, being t- attached to like an idea of something, how f- something should be. You know, so I was doing this job and I had this, I was really attached to like the, of what it was going to be, like the result, what the situation was going to be and what the result was going to be. And I was very clear, you know, with, with people at the beginning about this is what I want from this. You know, I was very clear with everybody involved and then it didn't turn out that way. Uh Uh-huh. And I still didn't let go. And I got, you know, I just sort of gripped tighter and made myself a little miserable and made maybe some other people a little miserable too. And and then I realized, oh, you know, I, I needed to go through that so that I could then let go of a result and actually enjoy the process more. So yeah. I couldn't have gone, I, if I hadn't done that, um, if I hadn't gripped so hard to that, it's got to be this way, then I don't think I would have learned that lesson because, you know, you know, you just, if you white knuckle of things, it's finally just going to break, you know? Well, we all have a sense of like justice. Yes. <laughs> the way things should be. Yes. And of, oh, I did everything right. I so did everything right. This way. Exactly. And I, and I told them to and I said go. that this was what I wanted and they still didn't give it to me. And, um, you know. And it can be unfair, but it's not going to help you. Yeah. No, it's not going to help. Hold on to it. It's not going to help the situation get any it's just this, this is the way it's going to be. Um, and it's that thing. And I guess you could apply that even to like the actual, like say, apply that to a scene that you're doing, an acting scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play this scene this way. And I'm going to, you know, this is my objective. And this is what I'm going to get this person to do. And this is what, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're, this, that, that's not going to yield anything that's going to yeah. be very interesting to watch. Yes. You know? <laughs> and the other person might be doing something. They're going to be doing, of course. And if you're right, not paying attention to that, if you're not yeah. receiving, then there's, you know, there's yeah. not going to be any give and take there. And it's going to break, you know? <laughs> it's just not going to work. 
So when I got the bigger picture of that, I'm like, oh, okay, it's all the same, you know? What we do and how we approach it, it's kind of the same. How's that for esoteric, <laughs> non-specific, specific? No, I like it. Okay. That's a hard one for everyone. Um, do you have any artistic mentors that have been really important to you in your career? Um, I, I find that I can find a mentor in pretty much every working situation. You know, I like to look, I like to get into a situation and go, who am I going to get something new from? You know, like I was just, um, I was just working on, uh, I'm on this TV show now called Claws and, uh, you know, when you're doing a TV show, you get a different director pretty much every episode. I mean, sometimes you get, you know, one director that'll do like two or something or three, but you, you know, you'll get new ones and stuff. So you're constantly having to relearn. You're having to learn somebody's new language and you can kind of tell them pretty quickly if you're going to jive with someone or not, you know, and, um, and some of them are way more technical, you know, they're just about the camera and they don't know how to talk to actors and some of them are all about the actors and some of them are, you know, right there in the middle. And, um, so I worked with this director, um, her name is Vic Mahoney, Victoria Mahoney. And, um, she came on and she directed episode four of Claws and she was a powerhouse. I mean, she was so cool and together and smart and articulate and she would fire everybody up not just the actors but you know the gaffers the prop people she would go into the makeup trailer with with all of these collages that she put together and I'm looking for something like this and she would just jazz everybody up you know and she's just coming in doing one episode of a show that's new so it hasn't nobody's right. even seen it you know and she's only seen the pilot, you know, because that's the only thing that had been even cut together, you know. So it was like just to see somebody that was able to come in and take control of hundreds of people that she doesn't know. That's amazing to me. And make something interesting was so inspiring to watch. And then the way she worked with us as actors, too, um, she comes from an acting background, so she sort of has that language already in her. But the, the things that she would do were so special and specific and um, surprising, you know. And so it's people like that, you know, that I, that I just take inspiration from. And I go, oh, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to go in and inspire people like that, you know. I mean, look, John David Lutz, our, our teacher from yeah. Evansville. I mean, how long has he been doing he's what he's been doing? He's retiring this yeah. year. Yeah, and he... 60 years, maybe? 60 years of teaching in that school and directing and inspiring so many students to go on and work. And how many hundreds and hundreds of, are, of us are there now? Right. You know, because of someone like him. You know? So people like that who can get other people to, I don't know, fire up their own sparks yeah that's that's what that's what gets me inspired um well I've, I've kept you for a long time so I just have two quick questions okay. that I always ask at the end 
The first one, and you, you mentioned a few things um, at the beginning, but if you are having a day where you're feeling really down or uninspired, mm-hmm. are there any concrete things that you reach for again and again, like a book or a place you go or music oh, right. you listen to or anything Yeah, like that? well, I mean, going back to Pema Chodron, mm-hmm. um, when things fall apart, it's like my Bible. So I will go turn to that or places that scare you. That's another good one. I'll turn to that. Um, I have these goddess cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're called goddess guidance. And I will, you know, do like a, go- a goddess reading. And my friend Trisha Ross gave those to me. And so I'll do a guide. Are they like tarot cards kind we of? Kind of, yes. Like you can meditate. Like you could do it however you want. But, uh-huh. you know, they're like runes or something, you know, like that. So you can meditate on a question and then you pull out a card. And they're just beautifully written, these cards. And you know, they're all women and, you know, so that's, that's something that Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like, you know, a a horoscope or something like that, but, but just more interesting and just makes you think about your life in a different way. Um, I walk my dog, you know, I do something that is, gets me out of my, out of myself where I have to, you know, think about, (laughs) let's think about somebody else right now. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do that. You know, go, go, try to help somebody else, you know, help a friend, give thanks. Every day, every day, every day before sleep, I give thanks. That's what I do before I go to bed. I give thanks. I just list the things that I'm thankful for until I fall asleep. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's like, that's a good thing as well because it's really hard when you get tripped up, when you get gripped, like I was just talking about, you forget the things that you do have that, you know, you can be grateful for and it kind of helps you reset I think yeah yeah that's wonderful um and the last question is have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend of any art form um well I just listened to this speaking of podcasts Mm -hmm. I just listened to homecoming oh I haven't listened to that it's really really great um it's uh, you know fiction, so it's um, actors doing it. It's a written script, so it's two seasons. I think it's six episodes each, but the actors are amazing. It's got Catherine Keener and David Schwimmer and Oscar Isaac and David Cross and like oh, this is incredible, and it's just so well done, you know. And it's it's just so, so inspiring to I listen to a lot of stuff, yeah, um, because I'm always out with my dog and. You know, I listened to Tara Brock, who's a wonderful Buddhist. Um, she has a, a podcast that I listen to a lot. And, um, you know, I listen to NPR or I, or I listen to books on tape. I'm always just has stuff going, you know, to kind of drown out the New yeah, York City. I that too. <laughs> and this was a fun, you know, thing because I hadn't really been listening to a lot of fiction right. podcasts, you know. So I recommend that. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's cool. Well, Kara, thank you so much. My pleasure. This was great. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the Compass Podcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month, You'll get access to bonus content, and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. 
I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Chopsey, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.